Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of You Want to Watch, a podcast where I'll let you know whether or not that movie you're considering watching is worth it. My name is Gabby, and this episode is a few days late. And by a few, I mean, yes, exactly three days late. I don't have a real excuse. Um, I was just really busy with work and not having enough time to sit down and record the podcast, talk about some movies, but I have time now. So this episode will be going up again three days late. It's going up on Thursday instead of Monday, but that's fine. We're all here. I was originally waiting until Sunday night after the Golden Globes finished to do a little recap of those, which I'm still planning on doing in this episode, just reacting to some of the winners and losers, but I didn't actually watch it because I didn't want to watch it live. I didn't care that much. I just kind of care to be nosy enough to know if the Golden Globes are going to have any sort of bearing on how the Oscars are going to go. But then once they finished airing, I realized I really just didn't care enough to talk about it in that moment, so I didn't end up recording anything. But again, we will be getting to that today. We will also be recapping my February movies that I watched throughout the month, the ones that I didn't get to talk about on the podcast, even though I feel like I did end up talking about a lot of the movies that I ended up watching throughout the month. So we're just going to hit on some highlights, some lowlights, give a small recap, if you will. And then we will also be talking in a little more detail about the United States versus Billie Holiday. So let's get into it. Let's start with my February recap. I watched 15 movies that were new to me, which was fewer than January, but also there were fewer days in February, so to be expected. I reviewed and talked about in different episodes Malcolm and Marie, To All the Boys, Always and Forever, Judas and the Black Messiah, Follow Me, I Care a Lot, Nomadland, um, and The Secrets We Keep. So if any of those titles sounded sort of interesting to you, I have episodes going back to the beginning of February where I give you in-depth reviews and whether or not I think any of those are worth it. I can't really remember if I talked about this in any detail, but I finally watched Adrift, which was the movie that has Shailene Woodley and Sam Claflin, and it's about these this couple who goes tries to go sailing from like some tropical island place. I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but they're trying to like get to Hawaii and then um, their boat crashes and they're just like stranded in the middle of the ocean. And open water is one of my biggest fears. I don't understand why anybody would want to go out and be in the middle of the water where there's like literally no land anywhere in sight. Like if anything goes wrong, there's no way to know that you will ever make it back. Like talking about that's giving me anxiety right now. So I never planned on watching this movie, but it was on Netflix and I was really bored one weekend, a couple weekends ago. And so I thought I'd give it a shot. And while I was stressed the entire time, I do think it was really well acted. I remember when it first came out, there was a lot of press um, of Shailene and Sam talking about the lengths that they went to to show like the starvation and the dehydration. And so basically like they were starving and dehydrated the entire time the way their characters were. And I think that's a little extreme. Like acting is acting but I don't think you always have to like do the most like that to get your point across but more power to them because they did a really good job I think if you had any sort of interest in that movie it is worth watching even as someone like I said who is stressed out by open water I made it through I had a good time I would recommend it 
Another movie that I watched last weekend that I have not talked about on the podcast was another movie I was tricked by the Hulu description of, and that's two weekends in a week, folks, that I have been entrapped by the description of a Hulu movie, and it ended up being very, very terrible. This one first got me because I could see that Gemma Chan was in the movie poster, and I'm a big fan of hers, so I clicked on it just to see what it was about. And the description says, in this gripping thriller, a wealthy woman wants to get rid of her cheating husband and offers money to a widowed friend, desperately broke, to murder him. And once again, I know that you can see why I was tricked by that. It's described as a gripping thriller. Like Put that in quotes because there was nothing gripping or thrilling about this movie. Um, It's called Intrigo, Dear Agnes, which I did not say. It's not important because I'm not recommending this movie to anybody don't waste your time on this. But I'm just, again, so disappointed by these Hulu descriptions. Like whoever is in charge of writing these for them, they deserve a raise. They deserve a big bonus because they've got me two weeks in a row. And the other part is like, other than the term gripping thriller, like the rest of that's not a lie. Like the actual plot in the movie is interesting. Like that whole concept is pretty interesting and I was excited to see how that was going to go down and still even the events like I do still think it was interesting it's just was so poorly written and so poorly acted for the most part that I was very disappointed sad about it and I'm telling you don't waste your time The last movie of the month that I watched was The United States vs. Billie Holiday, which we will get into later in the episode. But as a good little segue, um, we can start talking about Golden Globe Award winners because Andre Day, who plays Billie Holiday in that movie, won Best Actress for her role in that. So we're going to tie everything in with this little Golden Globe segment. So what I know about the Golden Globes broadcast this year, obviously they had to do it through a combination of Zoom and live presentations the way they normally would do, but then having all the actors accept their awards and do their speeches over Zoom. And I already knew that was going to be a mess and it exactly was a mess. The first award of the night went to um, Daniel Kaluuya for his role in Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. He got Best Supporting Actor for that movie role. Well-deserved. We talked about that on the podcast. But he was giving his speech and it was on mute. Like he didn't put himself on mute. There was a glitch and then you couldn't hear a speech, which I don't understand. How do you have this much money and your Zoom goes on mute? You know, like I can see that in my job. Like if I forget that I'm on mute and I try to start talking and then someone has to yell at me like you're on mute. I'm usually the person telling someone they're on mute, but like, you know, that's fine in my little 30 minute meetings while I'm at work, but get it together. Oscars, if you're going to have to do this, you got to get it together. We cannot have this repeat of an awful broadcast. Not here for it. Some of the winners that I was most excited about in the TV category was Josh O'Connor winning Best Actor in a Television Series for his role as... Prince Charles and the Crown. I'm obsessed with Josh O'Connor. I only have watched The Crown season three and four because he was in it. So definitely think that one was well-deserved. Also, Anya Taylor-Joy winning Best Actress in a Miniseries for The Queen's Gambit. That was one of my favorite shows of 2020. She's amazing. Again, love that for her. 
And then John Boyega winning Best Supporting Actor in a miniseries for his work in Small Acts, which I also did talk about on the podcast, I think, back in January. So if you were interested in watching any of those Small Acts movies, not only is John Boyega a Golden Globe winner for it, but I also highly recommend them. In the Best Performance in a Motion Picture Drama category for actor, that went to Chadwick Boseman for his role in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I talked about. Um, I thought his performance in that was amazing. I do think that it really was a toss-up, though, between him and Riz Ahmed, because Riz Ahmed's performance in Sound of Metal um also just like breathtaking absolutely incredible it could have easily gone to either of them though I am glad that posthumous awards every time they get given out it is there's so much emotion attached to them especially they had Chadwick's wife um accept the award and give a speech on his behalf and that was really that made me tear up I did watch a clip of that and tears absolute tears I'm looking at the uh, nominees for Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy, and I didn't even notice that Lin-Manuel Miranda had been nominated for Hamilton or that James Corden had been nominated for The Prom. And, like, this is where, like, the Golden Globes seemed like a joke. Like, why was James Corden nominated for anything, first of all? And, like, yes... Hamilton only came out as a quote-unquote movie on Disney Plus last July, so that makes it eligible for this category. But, like, why waste your time nominating Lin-Manuel Miranda, who already has Tony on top of Tony on top of Grammy for his role and his work on Hamilton? And I say that as a Hamilton stan, okay? I love Hamilton, but I don't get what the point of that was. Also, all of the drama surrounding the Hollywood foreign press who oversees the Golden Globes and how the LA Times just did a whole expose on them, exposing them for not having a single black member um, as a part of their organization. So that means like no black person ever has any input on any of the nominees ever, which then explains why Emily in Paris got nominated over I May Destroy You in the TV show category. But also, the Golden Globes have always been the award show where you have to campaign your ass off to get noticed. Like, Emily in Paris, as a show, like, the creators flew out Hollywood foreign press people. They took them to museums and they showed them all around Paris. Like, they worked their asses off to get the attention and then it paid off with their nominee. So, like, you have to pay to play. You have to play the game. And I guess if you're not willing to then your chances of getting nominated are slim, which once you understand that that's how it works, I guess it's harder to kind of get irritated or get mad at the nominees because just because someone didn't get nominated, that doesn't mean it's not a good show. It just could mean that the creators didn't want to go through hoops to get recognition from the HFPA. But also that's the same side of the coin. Like you shouldn't have to do all of that work for your greatness to be recognized. So honestly, the Golden Globes out of all of the award shows are kind of pointless. I think more people are coming to realize that. I mean, again, I didn't choose to watch them this year because it's like, it's all fake. It's fine. It is nice when someone you like gets an award, but in the grand scheme of things, I do think the Oscars are a little bit more fair. Like the Oscars still have their problems. Don't get me wrong. But I do think 
there is a bit more of a level playing field at the Oscars and there's less brown nosing that you have to do to get any notice. Nomadland won in the best motion picture drama category, which I think is well-deserved. I do think that movie was really nice. And then Chloe Zhao won for best director for that film. And that made her the first Asian woman to win uh, best director at the Golden Globes, which in 2021, we should not still be having these huge milestones. Like these are not things that we should be doing for the first time, but all props to her for doing such an amazing job. As I said in last week's episode, when I talked about that movie, she's very talented. I'm so excited to see what's going to happen in Eternals. Like that Marvel movie is going to pop off. I already know. I already know. My main man, Aaron Sorkin, won Best Screenplay for The Trial of the Chicago 7. I fully support that. I thought that movie was good, but I also just love Aaron Sorkin. I know that's boring, but huge fan. One area where I was very, very, very angry uh, was Ludwig Gornson losing Best Original Score for Tenet. Um, I mean, John Batiste and Trent Reznor won for Soul with Atticus Ross, which, yes, Soul had an amazing score, but also I will go down to my grave praising Ludwig's score for Tenet. That thing's amazing. I listen to it just for funsies. Uh, I'm obsessed with it. I it'll play in my head like right now I'm envisioning the scene in the opera with that sick drop like I hear it right now if you know what I'm talking about you know what I'm talking about and if you don't go watch Tenet just for that scene specifically with the nice really it's such a good drop it's so good I need him to win the Oscar I need him to win something because talent thank you Soul also won Best Animated Feature Film, which I'm totally fine with uh, because I thought that movie was cute. I had a good time. And then another area of controversy, questionable actions on the HFPA's part was Minari won Best Foreign Language Film, which amazing. Glad for them. I'm planning on watching that this weekend. I need to get around to it. But the whole problem with that being that's an American movie. It's about an American family uh, set in America and they nominated it for best foreign language film. And everyone was very angry about that, rightfully so. But at least it won, I guess. Like if you're going to put it in the wrong category, at least recognize it for the brilliance that it is. And I'm saying that not having seen it, just sort of the way other people have reacted to it. Um, Seems like it was worthy of being nominated and winning, but just not in that category. So we still have a ways to go with the HFPA, with Hollywood. Who knows if we'll ever actually get to where we want, but it is still good for people to keep critiquing and keep raising awareness and then uplifting those in the industry who we believe deserve recognition. And then the only other thing I want to say about the Golden Globes that I can't believe I glossed over was that when I talked about Daniel winning Best Supporting Actor, do you guys know what that means? It means that Jared Leto lost Best Supporting Actor, which thank God, thank you that I did not have to see Jared Leto win an award for that awful Little Things movie that he was very, very straightforward and boring in. Thankfully, no one thought that that was award worthy because it wasn't um, happy about that. Thanks. 
And that leads us to the movie that we're going to talk about today, The United States versus Billie Holiday. As I said, Andre Day plays Billie Holiday in this. She won Best Actress Award for this movie at the Golden Globes, as she should, and the movie won nothing else, as it also should not have, because she was the best part and possibly the only good part of that movie. So this movie was released on February 26th. It's available to watch on Hulu. Like that's the platform that it was released directly to. Um, and it is a biographical drama movie about Billie Holiday. And it's directed by Lee Daniels, who is probably best known for directing Precious and Lee Daniels, the butler. He's also a frequent producer. His first producing credit was for Monsters Ball, which um, when he produced that, he was the first black film producer to solely produce an Oscar winning film. So this man is talented. He has credits that go back 20 years. So there's no really questioning if he's talented or not. He definitely is. We don't even have to get into that. But he makes boring movies sometimes. And The United States versus Billie Holiday is a great example of a boring movie that also doesn't really have any sort of direction. Like it kind of just meanders about from scene to scene without fully feeling like there is a really tight plot within it. And I think this movie had that problem because the focus was not exactly on Billie Holiday's life. It was more on how the FBI was angry about her role in the start of the civil rights movement, especially around her song Strange Fruit that she would sing at all of these nightclubs and concert halls that's about lynching and about the black struggle. And the timeline for when she was singing the song was way before the actual civil rights movement. So at the time when she was doing this, she was really the only loud vocal black voice sort of speaking up at this time. And the FBI, Hoover at the time, did not like this. And he used all of his resources that he had possible to try and get her to stop. And so that's sort of where our timeline is and our focus. But also they then try and focus it on Billie Holiday's struggles with her drug addiction and her upbringing and why that made her life so difficult in certain ways. And I just think the connections that they're trying to make to like real world and how people are feeling right now with how Billie might have felt during her life at that time just felt a little kind of a stretch and that I wish we had maybe even just started out the movie out with her as a child and then worked our way up maybe to that point and not sat through much through those years because I just didn't feel like there was that much to be said and I think too if we had followed more of just Billy as a person and gone through her life we would have learned more about her through her own voice and her own actions there's a scene in the movie where um, there's two men who are just talking about her and one of them's like making all these statements about 
how she feels about other people in her life and how she grew up and all these things. But like, it's just someone else talking about her. It's not, I don't know as a viewer, if that's the truth, that's actually how she felt. And I just kept questioning that the entire time because I never felt that we were hearing Billie Holiday's story through Andre Day, who was playing her. So that was pretty disappointing though. Again, Andre's performance was amazing. Her voice, her singing, the way she looked, um, I, all of that was really, really done well. In the cast also, uh, Trevante Rhodes is here. That is a talented man. That is a beautiful man. I fully support whoever decided that he needed to be in this movie because that was nice to look at. That was nice to have. We also have Garrett Hedlund in this movie who plays uh, Harry Aslinger, who's one of the FBI agents. I forgot he was going to be in this movie. Like, I know I had known about it at some point because I'm a big Garrett Hedlund fan, but I had forgotten this was going to happen. But this is like the second or third movie in the past couple of years where he's played a racist man. And I just I'm going to need him to stop and maybe go back to his like country strong roles where he's just a sad country singer um, and to stop playing racists because it's not fun for me. Thanks, Garrett. Really appreciate that. This movie did not have any actors from The Wire, so I could take a whole other star off for that. I've said it before. I will say it again. If your black movie does not have at least two actors who were in The Wire, you can keep it. I don't want it. So maybe that's another reason why I didn't really like this movie, because they're not listening to me. Casting for a couple of the side characters that I thought was interesting, we had Tyler James Williams. Um who was Chris Rock on Everybody Hates Chris. And I still can't ever unsee that. I'm sure he doesn't appreciate um, being called that all the time for the rest of his career, but I can't unsee it. It's really not my fault. Sorry, Tyler James Williams. At least do you know your real name. I don't just call you the kid from Everybody Hates Chris, but he was there and then so was Melvin Gregg. And this one was really funny to me because I know Melvin Gregg from The Way Back. He played one of the high school basketball players on Ben Affleck's team. And then I know he was in that Netflix show, American Vandal, which also is a show where he plays a high school teenager. And I just found it funny because this man is 32 And then in this movie, he's supposed to be like a 30 year old man. But I was looking at him and I just was laughing because I was like, wait, like how old are you supposed to be in this? I'm not sure what demographic I'm supposed to be going for here. And so I just thought it was funny that he does a lot of high schooler roles. And then here he was like doing heroin all of a sudden in this movie. So that was interesting to me. I thought that was kind of an interesting casting choice, but I don't know if most people would recognize him from such niche things the way I do. So I fully support him taking on some more age-appropriate roles, though. We don't really need 30-year-olds playing teenagers if we can help it. So would I recommend you watch this movie? No, I don't think I would. Um, I haven't even heard a lot of people talk about this movie that even like had any interest at all in it. Um, Though I'm sure now that it's on Hulu and now that it's gotten some recognition after the Golden Globe win, I'm sure more people will be picking it up. I mean, I guess if you want to see some really great acting um, from Andre Day, that it would be worth it. And if you like Billie Holiday's music 
to hear Andra sing it is really nice, but you're not going to get anything out of the movie. Like it's not a really nice movie to look at. It's not well directed. Um, and it also isn't going to teach you anything really. I don't think about Billie Holiday's life that you couldn't just look up on Wikipedia. So I would say skip it and watch something else. This weekend, I'm finally planning on watching Minari, as I said, and then I want to watch that Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar movie because I keep seeing people talk about the Jamie Dornan song scene. I like Jamie Dornan, so I'm really excited to see that. And then the Coming to America sequel is out on Amazon Prime this coming Friday, which I'm excited about. I plan on watching that Um, and then I'm still prepping for Justice League and for Falcon and the Winter Soldier to come out on Disney Plus. We've got the WandaVision finale this weekend so lots of good things to watch and keep up on that I'm very excited to watch and I will look forward to talking about them in another episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of You Want to Watch. You can find me on Apple Podcast and Spotify, as well as on Twitter at YWWpod and Instagram at You Want to Watch.